You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. You can open up your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one in the seat pocket in front of you, or you can grab one on those stools in the back. Um, You're going to need your Bible to follow along with us as we go verse by verse through this text. And so Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8, is our text for the day. And God has so much to make known to us through this particular text. It's a really straightforward text. It's not hard to see what is being said here or what is meant here, especially in light of the flow of Luke's gospel. Uh, You can figure that out pretty easily if you've been here for any length of time And as you're watching Luke's gospel progress, you understand at least a little bit of what's happening here. And I think it'll be clear to you today as we walk through it, also the implications for us in our lives. So let's read it. Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. By the way, we made it to chapter 20. Yes, clap. Here we go. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or who it is that gave you this authority? He answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What a passage. What a very straightforward passage pithy passage. Now, let me tell you what we're seeing here, what the main point is in this section. And what we're seeing here is Jesus exposing the reason for the Jewish leaders' unbelief. He's exposing the reason 
that they are rejecting his authority. You could also say he's making clear why they have not believed in him or followed him or submitted to him. He's exposing their refusal to repent and not only their refusal to repent, but the reason why they are refusing to repent. And he's not doing this with um, a, a, a type of leniency. You have to understand, anything I say here, I'm going to pursue the tone of this text. My tone varies based upon the tone of the text. I don't come with my own text, with my own tone. This is a very authoritative in what Jesus is saying because he's saying this with finality and with judgment. The tone of this text, the reason for this text, there's a finality to it. And what he's doing is he's exposing the reason for the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the elders, the scribes, the reason for their rejection of him. And if we were to state it just very simply, it's that they're not getting what they want from Jesus. He's not who they want him to be as the Messiah. Now think about this. Their rejection of the truth, their rejection of Christ, their rejection of his lordship is not based upon whether or not he's true. It's based upon whether or not he's what they want. So, how did we get here? Well, it's pretty clear. After finishing the journey to Jerusalem, Jesus starts teaching on salvation. We, we've seen this. And he even in that section gives his authority to save. Right? He, he, he heals the two blind men to show not only that he has the authority to heal, but through the healing that he has the authority to what? Save. And so we see all this and, and we see Jesus give the idea of what the response will be from the Jewish people. And it's in 1914. Just look at it, right? Just go back a little bit in your text and look at verse 14 of chapter 19. It says at the end there, and Jesus is comparing this to the Jewish people. It says at the end of that verse, we do not want this what? Man to, to reign over us. So he's come to provide salvation. He's got the authority to do it. But the response is, we don't want this man to reign over us. And so then we see the triumphal entry. And this is very interesting. Because while Jesus is weeping, the people are rejoicing. You ever see that? They're rejoicing. Hands raised uh, in worship. Um, their mentality is that they're good before God and that God has favored them and that they're going to get what they want. And yet while they're worshiping, Jesus, knowing that they have no understanding and they're rejecting his authority, is weeping. He's weeping while they're rejoicing. I think that's true of many situations right now. 
in churches across America. They're rejoicing, hands raised, eyes closed, singing worship songs. And while they're rejoicing because they believe in a certain type of God, which is not a biblical God, Jesus instead is looking on that and weeping. And so this is Jesus' assessment. This is judgment. This is anger. This is righteousness. This is teaching. He cleanses the temple, and he does it as Bo so eloquently described with with physical uh, means. He, He casts them out of the temple. They're rejecting Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem to provide salvation. And why? It's not because they're looking for the truth and he's not the truth. It's because they're looking for gain and he's not the gain for them. You understand this? This is what is going on here. And really, this is just what's happening in the temple that we saw last week is really a bigger picture of what's happening with the Messiah. They're in the temple where you're called to worship God but they're using the temple as a means of what? Gain. Monetary gain. And the same, that's a microcosm of what's happening with Christ, with the Messiah. They're ready for the Messiah to come, but their expectations are for what? Gain. Personal gain. And listen, as soon as Jesus is not as soon as they realize that he's not what they want, they will reject him. The Messiah will be rejected. They don't realize their, listen now, their sinful condition. They don't realize their need to be saved. They don't realize Christ's coming work. They're coming to him for what did they want? Think about this. They wanted Roman freedom. They wanted political gain, and they wanted earthly salvation from their problems, right? And I wonder if that's true of you. I wonder if the reason that maybe you're stepping towards following Jesus is not because you understand your sinful condition. You understand your standing before God. You understand your need to be saved. You understand judgment upon sin. And you need to be in right standing with God so you're pursuing Christ because of that. Or if you are pursuing Christianity in Christ because you want the immediacy of your popularity or political or prosperous gain. And I want to tell you that your first need is to be made right before God through Jesus Christ. That's your greatest need. Don't worry about what he will provide for you. Worry about your standing before God. Matthew 11, 16 through 19 says, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, 
a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. What's clear is Jesus knew this all along. Jesus is saying here in this passage in Matthew, I'm not what you want. It's like children playing in the marketplace saying, we did this for you and you didn't do this. We did this for you and you didn't do that. I wonder if that's your expectation of Jesus. John, they weren't satisfied with who John the Baptist was and they're not satisfied with who Jesus is. It's not, the assessment is not whether or not he's true. The assessment is whether or not it's what they want. You get that? They wouldn't submit even if he was proven to be the Messiah because he proved it over and over and over. They saw it. They heard it. It was clear. And they rejected it. Now listen now. I want to encourage you in this. You must be someone who submits to God's word because it's true. Not because it's necessarily what you want. And you must proclaim a gospel and the truth of God's word because it's true. Not based upon whether or not it's exactly what you want. You see how there's a difference in assessment there? I wonder if you're sitting there and asking the right questions. I wonder if you're sitting there and saying, is this true? Instead of saying, is this what I want? And I pray that through this text, your response to Christ would be based on the truthfulness of who he is and what he says, the authority of his word, and not simply because it's what you exactly want for your life. You don't know what you want. You don't, tr- you don't need to trust in what you want. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things who can trust it. So Jesus exposes this issue in two ways. We're gonna see two points. Well, in, in one way, but through two points here. The only two points of this passage. It's very, very simple and straightforward. We're gonna see first the question asked in verses one through two. And then we're going to see, secondly, the issue exposed in verses three through eight. The question asked, and then the issue exposed. Okay? Got it? All right. Let's start with the first, the question asked. Verses one through two. Now watch this. Stay in your text. You're going to love this because... It just is so exposing of what's going on here. Verse one, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things or who is it, who it is that gave you this authority. Now we start here with one day. Okay. Now, what does that mean? You got to ask yourself that question one day. And typically when the, when a passage or section starts like this, at this point in the narrative, in the Passover narrative, we're assuming this means the next day, 
by what's being said here. There's a, a change in direction here, a, a change in, in days, right? Because we are, um, this is a transitional statement. So one day, the next day, as Jesus was teaching, right? And it signifies that this is the next day, right? And we see this, verse 47, go back a couple of verses. It says, and he was teaching daily in the temple, right? And so he's teaching daily in the temple, and then chapter 20, verse 1, one of those days, okay? So one of the days while he's in Jerusalem that he's teaching in the what? Temple, okay? So Jesus was teaching. Now, you would ask the question, what day are we on here? You should ask that. Because um, we are in the last week of Jesus' life, okay? We saw the triumphal entry, and uh, he's crucified by what day? Friday. And isn't it interesting here, please note that um, the passion texts of the Gospels, um, one week or five days uh, takes up a lot of chapters. We've spent... Um, 19 chapters on 33 years. And we'll spend pretty much five chapters on five days, right? Um, it, it, this is pretty crazy. I, I did the math, and uh, not that anyone would want to do that, but I was interested. <laughs> if we spend five chapters on every five days for all of Jesus' life, there would be 15,444 chapters in the book of Luke. This is particular emphasis on these last five days. And the same is true. You can go and see how many chapters. There's seven in Matthew's gospel. There's uh, five in Mark's gospel. Again, five in Luke's gospel. And there's nine in John's gospel, all focused on this Passion Week. After he finishes the journey to Jerusalem, from the time he enters Jerusalem, until the time we finish the book. And so this is very important. Now let's figure out what day we're on here. All right, and to do that, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, Matthew, Mark, Luke, what? Okay, so turn to your right. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, starting in verse one, we see a, a good starting point here. It says on, in verse one, what does it say? Six days before the Passover. The Passover is Friday, and so six days would be what? You got to think about it because it's a little backwards, right? Saturday. Good. Okay. Saturday. Uh, my kids sing the days of the week song, right? Monday, Tuesday. So if you, if you need help with your days of the week, um, <laughs> we can help you. So Saturday, right? Verse 9. Jump down to verse 9. Most uh, commentators would say, now this is going to rock your world a little bit, okay? Most commentators would say that verse 9 is the next day, which is when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they came. That would be Sunday. That means that the triumphal entry, go down to verse 12, would be what day? E. It's not Sunday. Could be Sunday, but it's probably not Sunday. It's Palm Monday. 
That just changed your whole life. (laughs) Then we see that from there in John's gospel, we don't have much more information on the days because from there, chapter 13, look at it, just turn. Jesus is doing what at that point? He's, He's washing the disciples' feet. Where does that take place? In the upper room, and that takes place the night before the what? The Passover. So at that point, we're jumping from Monday to Thursday really quickly, right? So we got no other information there, okay? So jump to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We, so we can start off that we're at the triumphal entry by Monday, Okay? So here we are, Mark chapter 11, verse 1, that's Monday. Now look at verse 12. What does it say? On the following day. So let's see if you can do it. Tuesday, right? Then verse 20, we see a transition of days. As they pass by in the what? Morning. So that's the next day. That would be Wednesday. All right. And then from there, we see the parallel passage of our text. And that's here in verses, um, let's see, 27. Is that right? Mm hmm. So, with that being the case, we understand that what we are reading probably happened on what day? Wednesday. So back to Luke now. We're on Wednesday. That means that the next day Jesus is going to come in. Jesus is going to, um, uh, uh, I think at that point he's going to uh, um, curse, point out the cursed fig tree, go into the temple one more time on the next day, which is Thursday. And that night they'll have what? The Last Supper. So I want you to look at this. Look at from where we are right now, which is 21 through 8, all the way through, just turn the page, see chapter 21, chapter 22. And, um, and we see up to 22, verse 7, is when they have the Last Supper. So everything from where we are today, 21 through 7, through 22, verse 7, happens on Wednesday and about half a day Thursday. So you know exactly where we are. And in a couple days, Jesus will be what? crucified. So back to our text, Luke chapter 20, verse one. What was Jesus doing on this day? Two days before he knew he was going to die. He knew he would face the suffering of sinners. Jesus was preaching and teaching. And what was the content of his teaching? What was it? The gospel. 
It was the good news of, of Christ, of him coming to provide salvation. And you know, this is what got them killed. This is what got him killed. This is what got the apostles killed. It was the teaching. This is what got the apostles jailed and arrested. It wasn't the healings. What was it? The teaching. It was the words. When they came out of the prison, what'd they tell the apostles? Stop all that what? Teaching. You see how powerful the teaching of God's word is? They didn't kill him because of the healings. They killed him because of his what? Teaching. The teaching of the truth will bring about understanding and knowledge and bring about repentance and faith and bring about salvation. That's what the teaching does. So that's what he's doing. Verse one, he's doing it where? So we know what he's, we know when he's doing it. We know what he's doing. We know the content of what he's doing. And now we know where he's doing it. Where is he doing this? The temple. The temple, right? And so he's doing two things now. I want you to notice this. He's teaching and what? Preaching. Why the, differenti uh, the differentiation there? Why, why teaching and preaching? You ever ask those kind of questions? What is that? What's the difference here? Well, listen now. Preaching always involves teaching, but teaching is not always preaching, right? So teaching is the information, the transfer of the information of God's word to your ears. Preaching in the scriptures is more than that. It's heralding. It's reading the information from the king and telling the people to do something with that information. And so preaching always involves teaching, but preaching is more than teaching. And teaching is not always necessarily what? Preaching. So he's not only teaching how he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, but he is calling the people to do what probably? Repent, believe, be saved. He's teaching and he's preaching. He's preaching and he's teaching. It's summoning people to repent. Second Timothy tells us that it involves reproving, rebuking, and what? What is it? Exhorting and a training in, in righteousness. Right? Preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and or long-suffering in doctrine, patience in teaching. This is the idea that's happening here. He's calling the people to repent. And what's the content? Acts 1.3. I think it's up on the screen here. Acts 1.3, it says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom. That's probably what he's talking about. The kingdom. Right? This is what Jesus is doing here. And um, verse 21, or verse 20, uh, chapter 20, back to verse 1, look at it. It says that when he's doing this, the chief priests, the scribes, and the what? The elders, they came up to him. Now, the word came up in the Greek is a confrontive, attacking word. 
So picture this. You can see the scene. You know where it's at, when it's happening, what he's doing, what his content is, and what's exactly happening here. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they're coming up to him in the temple with an attack. The chief priests or the high priests or the captains or the priests or the overseers of the temple. All those people were represented by the, word chief, the words chief priests. Right? There's this high priest, there's the captain of the temple, there's the priest, there's the overseers of the temples, then there's the scribes, who are the Jewish theologians. Some of them are Pharisees, but they're more than that. And then there's the elders, which are involving the Sadducees and some Herodians and some Pharisees. They're the Sanhedrin. They make up the 70 men over the Jewish religion. These are the, the top dogs in the Jewish circle. And they come with an attack on Jesus. Now think about this. Jesus never taught anything but what? Truth. You ever see, you ever see this? What's being taught is exactly word for word the scriptures of God. All that's being explained is the actual word for word of God in the way in which God intended it to be explained and read. And you still, and that is plain as day. And yet there is still a re refusal to listen. And there's still an attack. There's still, I, I don't like what you said. You're being mean. You're being confrontive. You're being too harsh with the truth. You're being abrasive. You're being, no, no, no. Listen, that's just exactly what's here in the exact tone that it's being described. Or you see the truth calling someone to be, to repent of their sin. And they can see it themselves. And yet their response is, to walk out and pretend like they never heard it. Right? I mean, this is crazy. This is the son of God speaking the truth of God to the people of God. And the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, instead of listening to these words, being edified in the truth, repenting from their sin, experiencing salvation, instead come and do what? They attack him. So, verse 2, they attack him here, and they said to him this, tell us by what, what? Authority you do these things, or who it is that give you this, gave you this authority. What things? Right? He says, tell us by, they say, tell us by what authority you do what? Those things. What are the things? Well, it's probably back to... Chapter 17, his teaching on salvation, the conditions for salvation, the assessment of the Jews' condition, the cleansing of the temple, the teaching of the Old Testament, the interpretation, the preaching of the gospel, right? All of these things are involved, but what do you think the main thing is here? It just happened. The cleansing of the what? Who gave you this authority to come into this place and flip over the tables? And act like we're not doing something right here in this temple. You see, Jesus, listen now. Jesus never, ever, 
ever asked for permission from these leaders, which was unheard of. He didn't ask for any permission. Who was his loyalty to? God. He never asked any. They had to appoint you to come into the temple and have any authority whatsoever. This was a whole ordination process. Years and years and years of growing up in the Jewish society and religion and studying under certain people, right? They never gave him permission. We didn't tell you you could do this. By what authority are you doing this? And Jesus did not care about their what? Authority. Who's his authority coming from? God, his father. Jesus ignored, disregarded. He was indifferent. He was not taking seriously their authority. He was committed to the truth. And that's what he was exposing. He will be exposing about them. They're saying this. Why do you have the right? Who makes you right? What makes you have the right to do this? Now, we already know Jesus' authority, right? This is, this is, by the way, at this point, what we would call Christology, right? That, this is doctrine here. And the subcategory under Christology here would be Christ's what? Authority. You, you can understand this. This is doctrinal, right? His authority here. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord, right? He is the one with all authority. Let's look at some of these. Matthew chapter 18. You guys know this? I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 28. Verse 11, what does it say? While they were going, behold, um, I'm sorry, 28, uh, 18, he says, and Jesus came to him and said what? Came to them and said what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's got all the authority, right? What about Colossians chapter one? He says, It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be what? He's got all the authority. What do you mean, where did you get your authority? Right? What about John 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What about John chapter 5, verses 19 through 21? Jesus makes it clear. I would have you turn there, but I'm just going to read it to you. Just listen. But you've been reading through the gospel of John, and Jesus says this over and over again. Where does his authority come from? His father. He says this, so Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Now, this is his earthly ministry. He is God. He's got all the authority. But even while he's on earth, what he's doing, right, he is submitting himself to who? God the father. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. We saw this, that he gave up his, his rights, right? Even though you know, he was equal with God, right? He sacrificed um, many of the aspects of his divinity during his time on what? Earth. So here's what he says. He says, 
for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will show him. He will, uh, he will show so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all those who are in the tombs will hear his voice come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. He's got all the authority. This is Jesus Christ, the one with all what? Authority. Listen now. Can I tell you even? That's why when we teach the word of God, we teach it with what? What do you think? Authority. Why? Because whose word is it? As long as I'm saying what he's saying, it comes with what? Authority. Look at Titus too. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all what? authority. This is the instructions to the pastor. Let no one what? Now, as soon as I start teaching my own thoughts, all that authority goes where? Away. It's word for word what he says, right? So think about this now. Jesus has all the authority. They're attacking Jesus. He doesn't need permission from Rome. He doesn't need permission from the Pharisees, from the scribes, from the Sanhedrin, from the chief priests. He's cleansing, cleansing the temple. He's got no regard for their opinion whatsoever. No matter what, Jesus is totally ignoring them. <laughs> He's totally ignoring them. And they're upset. They're upset. Now here it is. Jesus is about to expose what's really going on here. We see number two, the issue. Verses three through eight. Verse three. He answered them. I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death. For they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So now, here, Jesus responds with a question, as he does very often, right? And listen now. The answer to that question will either answer their question for them or it will be clear that they're not really looking for the answer to this question, right? So he says this, I will ask you a question. Now tell me, right? And we see, uh, uh, we see Jesus say this at the end of verse three. That's pretty, um, 
That's pretty interesting, right? He says, I'm going to ask you a question. Now you tell me. Okay? So here he says, is John the Baptist's baptism from heaven or from who? Man. Who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist was the forerunner of who? The Christ. And he's saying here was the baptism that John performed in the Jordan for the people, which was a baptism of repentance for the preparation of the Messiah. Was that from God or was that just John doing that on his own accord? Right? And you remember this story. I mean, the angel came to Zechariah and his wife, who? Elizabeth was going to have a, a child. Who is that going to be? John. Now, when he says here the whole, the baptism of John, he doesn't just mean the literal only, like the baptism, like just the act. He means the whole ministry of John the Baptist, which was the forerunner of who? Of Christ, right? The preparation for Christ. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is what? At hand, see your sin, your falling short, your repentance, your need for salvation, the coming Christ who will provide it for you. Was that from man or from God? That's what he's asking here. And, and this is extremely, extremely important because you know what John was saying basically to the Jewish people? That you're like Gentiles. You need to repent of your sin and be saved. He's calling, he, he, he brought to the Jewish people the fact that they were guilty before God. He was calling them basically outcasts and Gentiles in need of salvation. They needed to be cleansed from their sin. This was a preparation for it, right? A preparation for it. In Luke chapter 7, verse 29 through 30, it says, When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. But now watch this, verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, what? Rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by who? Who? John, by John, right? Not having been baptized by John. Now here's the deal. They've been rejecting this the whole time. They've been rejecting this the whole time. And so Jesus is gonna show that it's not that you haven't seen the truth. It's that you don't like it. Verses five through seven. Here's the true issue. You ready? And they discussed it with one another. Saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death. For they, were convinced, they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered him. They answered that they did not what? No. Now this is clear. I mean, this is just clear. What's their discussion revolving around? Is it revolving around whether or not this is true? No. It's revolving around how it will impact what? Their lives. How will this impact us and our power and our prestige and our authority and our standing if we say that this is true? It's not whether or not it's what? True. 
They're not asking the right questions. They're deliberating because of personal, with a desire for personal gain. They want to maintain their popularity at the people, in front of the people. They want to maintain their power over the Jewish world. They want to maintain their um, financial gain that they're receiving through spiritual means, right? And so here they are discussing. They are discussing, and it's not whether or not it's true. It's whether this will benefit them or not. Verse five, they discussed with one another, right? Their truth for them is determined by personal gain and its repercussions, not what's right, right? John wasn't who they wanted and Jesus wasn't who they wanted. If they answer with the plain truth, right? It's not like they haven't seen it. Then they'll have to believe in him. And if they believe in him, they'll have to do what? Follow him. And if they don't believe it, then here they're saying that the people will stone them because the people, at least at the very least, thought John was a prophet. But Jesus here is exposing the fact that you don't want the truth. You just, you just want what you want. You don't really want an answer. You want an answer that's acceptable for you. Because the true issue is that you don't want the truth. You want the truth to match what you want. And that's why you're rejecting it. You see, this is an emotional, moral issue. Most of the time when people get upset about the truth, it's not because they're actually analyzing the truth and they can't see it plain for themselves. Most of it is emotional and most of it comes from a personal, emotional issue. A moral issue. It's always a moral issue. I don't want that particular aspect of Christianity to be true. Because it affects me like this. Rather than, what does God say? Let me repent and come to submission under his truth and his word and his authority. And although it's going to be hard, he'll get me there. He'll get me there to be a person who submits to his truth. They don't want that. If they would have just repented of their sins, seen the truth, submitted to Christ's authority because it was clear who he was and what he came to bring, they would have received forgiveness from God, restoration. They would have uh, had to repent and do some honest, humble work in light of the people around them, right? And how they've treated the, the Jewish nation. And yet God would have transformed their what? their whole lives. And they probably would have been written about in this book about those who went on to have a great effect for the name of who? Christ. If they just would have repented of their sins. But even if they got an answer here, they wouldn't accept it. Because truth is not what they're seeking. It's what they want. What they want from the Messiah, what they want to be true. Right? You want God to serve you. He's the butler. And he's a means to your end. That's what was true about these men. The Messiah, the coming Messiah, was a means to their end. 
And therefore, the truth had to match what they wanted. Verse six, it says, if we say it's from man, all the people will stone us. They're worried about what the people will think, how to maintain their power, their resources. They don't want to submit to him. Verse five, they're going to have to believe in him and follow him if they say otherwise, right? And, uh, and why stoning, verse six? Well, Exodus 17, you can see it. It says, um, verse four, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to what? Stone me. Numbers 14, 10, then all the congregation said to stone them with, with what? Stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at a tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. The, the stoning was for the purpose of blasphemy. That was, the, that was the rule in the law. And so they're ready to stone. They're afraid that they would, would be stoned if they say John the Baptist was not a prophet because the people believed it. They would call, say blasphemy. And that's how, think about this though too. This is how passionate the crowd is about Jesus at this point. They would stone the Pharisees. And yet, just in a few days from now, they're going to be just as passionate to do what? Kill Jesus. These same people. But that's how passionate they are right now. So, verse 8, at the end of this. Jesus says this. They, they said, we don't know. They got no, listen, they got no other, they don't know how to get out of this and still get what they want. Right? That's what they're saying here. Right? We don't know how to get out of this and still get what I want. So there's no objectivity of reality of truth. It's, we can't figure out how to answer and still get what we want. So the best option is we'll just say we don't know and then let's see what happens. Right? Verse eight, Jesus says this. Neither will, what? Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You don't want the truth. You just want what you want. There's no point of me answering this question because you won't believe it even if I tell you because it's not what you want, right? And this here comes with finality and with judgment. At this point in Luke's gospel, he will no longer explain himself. This is judgment. This is, I'm done. I've done it for three years every day. Similar to what Paul said. Remember and Paul said in Acts chapter 20, for three years he stayed there doing what? Warning and teaching the people, right? By the way, that's what preaching is. It's not just teaching, it's also warning of what's false. Stay away from this, stay away from that, stay away from those people, don't do this. It's not in line with the word. Warning and doing what? Teaching, that's what Paul did. In his preaching for three years, night and day, Jesus did the same thing. And now he's saying, I'm not going to explain myself anymore to you. I've explained myself over and over and over again. It's not that you haven't heard the truth. It's just that it's not what you want. This is finality. This is judgment. You won't accept it even if I tell you. And we can know this. Luke 22 Verses, um, uh, Luke 22, I think I have it up there, 67, and verse, yeah, 23, verse 1. 
says, if you're the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, this is earlier. No, this is later. If I tell you, you will not what? Believe. If I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, you are the Son of God. And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard the reports ourselves from his own lips. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before who? Pilate. Now, what about Luke chapter 23, verse 9, as we go on? When Pilate asked them the question, uh, he questioned them at length. But what did Jesus do? Verse 23, verse 9. Chapter 23, verse 9. Hit the next one. Next slide. All right. Well, here's what he did. He made no answer. He made no answer. Right? And then if we go on, listen. John chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus said this, ready? I told you, I told you. And you do not what? Believe me, I told you. I'm not gonna answer you anymore. I'm not gonna answer you anymore. And this now is raising the temperature of the spiritual leaders. And so as we close this, as we close, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I seeking the truth or am I seeking what I want to be true? The big picture here is this is why the Jewish leaders are rejecting Christ. He's making it plain. He's taught about salvation. He's declared who he is. He's brought about the conditions of salvation. He's cleansed the temple. He's entered Jerusalem. He's going to provide salvation. And he's making clear to them the reason why you're rejecting me and you're about to kill me is not because I am not true. It's because it's not what you want. And I want everyone in this room not to follow in those footsteps. I want you to pursue the truth based on the word of God. Not for personal gain, but because it's true. Because it's true. Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, you must deny your what? Self. And follow who? Me. So, will you submit to the truth of Christ and find salvation and find transformation through him? Or will you reject him because it's not what you want? Let's pray. Father, we come and we ask you, Lord, by your grace, to teach us this word, to change us by this word, to give us understanding through your word so that we may be people who are truly born again, truly repentant of our sin. And we're convinced enough by your truth to hold fast to it. No matter what it says, no matter what it, how it affects our lives, 
no matter how we might suffer because it's true. Let us take your word at face value. If you say to gather on and not to forsake the gathering, help us to be people who don't forsake the gathering. If you say to to treat our spouse like this, help us to not treat our spouse any different. If you say this is the condition of our hearts and we need salvation, help us to then believe that, repent, and trust in you for salvation. Whatever your word says, help us to take it plainly, literally, straightforwardly, and submit our lives to it without imposing our own earthly wisdom and without turning away from it because it's not exactly lining up with our desires. And therefore, God, help us to be truly saved, truly born again, and truly transformed by your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.